0: Hello Women of Strength Wednesday. It is Megan with the Back link and we have our friend Camden here with you today and she is from Tennessee. Camden is amazing. She is a wife and a mother of two. She had a c-section and then of course went on and had a back. and we're going to have her story shared today and I'm so excited to have her share her story. She's got a couple things that. Um, really happen often. Um, One with her first is the third trimester ultrasound. So if you have ever been told, Hey, we're going to do a a third trimester ultrasound and see how big your baby is or see what's going on, like stick with us because that is common. At the end, we're going to go over kind of some information on that. And then she also has an awesome thing that I think is added to her story. She worked through EMDR therapy, and I am very fascinated with this. And so I cannot wait for her to share more. And she's actually a licensed clinical psychologist. Is that correct, Camden? That's right. Perfect. Yes. And has a private practice and is a coach and a writer and a speaker and specializes in women's issues and relationships and faith. And I mean, she's just a wealth of knowledge. So I'm so honored to have her here today. Um, and to be sharing her story. So of course we have a review of the week. I'm gonna dive into that, and then we will get into the nitty-gritty of these beautiful stories. Today's review is from Caitlin, and I'm hoping that we did not leave this review or leave this review already. Um, it was given just two weeks ago on Google. So if you didn't know, you can Google the Vback link and leave us a review on there. We love your reviews. We know we say it all the time. I know I say it all the time. So I don't know when I is ever going to you know, come into natural. It's always we. I just miss my Julie. But um, we love reviews. And we need your reviews to read on the podcast. So if you wouldn't mind, drop us a review. Google, Apple Podcasts, social media, anywhere. And we would love to read re- your review on the podcast. So Caitlin says, I honestly can't recommend the feedback link enough. I had my son via c C-section in 2021, and even though I'm not pregnant with number two yet, I feel so ready and even excited for when that time comes because of all the stories and education from the VBAC link. I have been binging the podcast for the past couple weeks, and I have a note in my phone that is especially for specifically for VBAC resources and education that has been mentioned on this podcast. I am looking into providers and planning on starting interviewing some soon. I can't tell y'all enough. Thank you for all that you do. And I hope one day I can share my VBAC story. I love that, Caitlin. I love that you're starting your journey even before you're pregnant. I also did that. For me, it felt right. And everyone has a different time that it feels right to start their journey and start their prep and interview providers. But for me, unfortunately... It took a while and I'm glad that I started that journey before I, you know, fell pregnant because I was able to kind of really decipher who and what I wanted and what I want to see, like what answers were truly something that I believed to be supportive and so congratulations on starting your journey and I too hope that you are with us one day to share your VBAC story.
1: You are tuned into the VBAC Link Podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan.
0: Okay, Camden, are you ready to share your stories? Yes, I'm ready. Well, I am ready to hear them and share them with the world.
2: Like, go ahead. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on here, Megan. Um, I do a lot of podcast interviews for my work as a therapist and a coach, but not a lot about me personally. So this is a little different for me. Yeah, Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist, but I'm really going to talk about my own personal experience here as a mom. Um, so as you said, I had my first child, which is my daughter from a C-section in 2018. And then I had my son this February, 2022, um, as a successful VBAC, which was so exciting and felt so empowering and just was, just was a great experience. So I knew as soon as I had my daughter from C-section that I wanted to try for a VBAC. And so I did a lot of preparation to get me there. Um, but mostly just like educating myself about really that her birth as a C-section, I think was unnecessary. So I, as you said, I went in for that third trimester, trimester growth ultrasound. I was, she was, I was 36 weeks mm-hmm. and that's where they estimated her size and the ultrasound estimated that she already was like eight pounds at 36 weeks. Um, and that she was going to be like about 10 and a half pounds by the time I have her. And they said, you know, at over 10 pounds, they recommend a C-section.
0: Yeah. And that number alone, just like saying like, your baby could be 10 to 10 and a half pounds. You're like, what? (laughs) You know, that's overwhelming too, to hear as a mom.
2: Yeah. And I didn't realize how off those estimates could be at the time. Like they did tell me, oh, it can be off about a pound either way. And so she could be actually a pound bigger. Uh Uh Yeah. And as a first time mom, you know, I was just, me and my husband were were just freaked out. Like they told, told me, you know, you could get third or fourth degree tears. You could have shoulder dystocia, you know, she could get, get stuck and, um, and not have oxygen to the brain, like just all kinds of problems so that they, they said could happen if I tried to have a vaginal birth with her. So from 36 weeks on, I was a basket case. I had a lot of anxiety, went in at 39 weeks to have another ultrasound. And that was when they said she's, she was estimated to be like about 10 and a half pounds. And so we went ahead and scheduled a C-section, but very begrudgingly, like, I don't feel like they forced me to, but yet they had some really strong words to say. Like one of, we spoke with several different doctors at our practice. And one of them said, you know, at this point, the risks of having a vaginal birth are higher than the risk of a C-section with her. One said, if this were my wife, I would recommend that she have the C-section. Like, just oh, really. They I said, hate those
0: comments.
2: Yeah. Um. One doctor said, you know, you couldn't. Maybe you you could try for a vaginal birth, and, and maybe she won't be as big, and it'll be fine. But if something bad happens, you'll never forgive yourself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, yeah, I couldn't live with myself. And if something bad did happen to her, because I was stubborn and tried have for vaginally and so so we went ahead and scheduled the c-section on her due date um so i did not go into labor at all didn't have contractions and or anything like that the c-section went fine she was healthy she was nine pounds two ounces so she was over a pound less than what they estimated although still on the on the bigger side of um things but she was healthy i was healthy They had thought I had gestational diabetes and I had been tested so many times they did not have it. So there was really no explanation for why she was a little bit on the bigger side, not a family history of it. And, you know, nothing I did because I kept feeling like I did something wrong and I have PCOS. So that does make you a little bit more um, at risk for developing gestational diabetes. But I mean, they tested me many times and I did not have it. So I was relieved when she was born healthy and everything went fine. But then I had breastfeeding difficulties. I had low milk supply and they they encouraged me to supplement in the hospital because she she had lost weight. So it was like, first, the problem was she was too big and now she's losing too much weight. Um, so it was all really psychologically affected me. Like, even though everything was healthy and safe and there were no complications and, and my recovery was was also pretty good. I still felt psychologically traumatized from the experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and then you, like, were, you felt as though, it, and this is what, like, my perception of it, like, you felt as though you must place blame on mm-hmm. yourself for that. Like, you were searching for, like, this reason. When, mm-hmm. like, like you said, like, it just happens. Like, sometimes babies grow bigger. Like, it just happens.
2: Yeah, I kept, and I also had this sense, this is so unfair, because I've done everything right. Like, I, stayed active during my pregnancy I watched what i ate was you know within moderation and i took my medication for Pcos like i i managed everything and stayed healthy and tried to do everything right and still just didn't get the the birth experience I wanted um, and then the breastfeeding difficulties and the low supply persisted um so we just we supplemented with formula throughout her life and um, I managed to keep breastfeeding and, and pumping going back to work and everything but i managed to do it for eight or nine months so that that makes me proud that I kept up with it for that long with her, but um, but all of that contributed to developing postpartum depression and anxiety. And um, like I said, I am a psychologist and a therapist. I'm in do therapy in private practice, and so I was familiar with those signs and that that is a common occurrence. But but as a first time mom, I didn't realize this was more than the baby blues. I was crying every day for several weeks after her birth I felt like a failure I felt not good enough and I just really grieved like my birth experience and also grieved like my life before becoming a mom even though I loved her it was just so much responsibility such a huge life change and identity change and it was just a really tough transition
0: you know I I feel like it can relate to that so much like it's not that I didn't love being a mom and and doing you know having that role but like it really like the identity change. Like, I didn't know who is this weird. Like, I was like, who am I? Like, am I mom? Am I Megan? Am I the return to work coordinator at my work? Like, who am I? And just like, really,
2: it can throw you. Yeah, it just, my career had always been so important to me. And that had always been like a lot where a lot of my identity and value came from. And so being on maternity leave was really weird. And I went back to work after eight weeks, which now I wish I had taken more time. But But I was like almost relieved to go back to work and to feel like I know what I'm doing here. Like I'm valuable here and I don't feel like a failure all the time. Like I did at home breastfeeding and and being a new mom. So, so that was my first birth experience. And um, yeah, and I struggled with the postpartum depression and anxiety for quite a while. It took me about almost a year before I started seeing a therapist myself who specialized in postpartum mental health. And I also um, took antidepressant medication to help to help with my mood, too. And so that that helped a lot. But really just giving myself time to adjust to being a new mom, too. Good for you. So, um, like I said, I knew I wanted to have me back. So um, we waited quite a while to to try getting pregnant with our second. Of course, the pandemic happened during all that. I got laid off from the job I was at. I was a profess- college professor um, when I had my daughter, and I got laid off from that, and then transitioned to private practice. So, starting a new job, like all of that, led to us waiting a little bit longer than we had planned. But you know, as soon as I got pregnant, we we interviewed doulas, and and I switched practices um, to stay with the gynecologist who had been treating my PCOS for a long time, but who had left the practice I had been at for my first birth. So. I switched to that practice and I just did a lot of research. I'm somebody who likes to be really prepared. So I listened to your podcast a lot, which was really helpful. And I read a lot of books and like had my doula as support and listened. Yeah. listened to your podcast, started seeing a Webster chiropractor and just, yeah, just really advocating for the birth experience I wanted. I was very clear with my OB that I wanted to try for a VBAC that was my intention. And yeah, so so setting that goal for myself and putting in as much preparation as I could really helped me to feel more empowered. And then um, I started going to EMDR therapy. So I was still seeing um, my therapist who specialized in postpartum and maternal mental health um, but she did not provide EMDR therapy, and I actually don't either. It's something that requires specialized training and certification, and that stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, EMDR. It's it's really the, the most effective treatment for trauma and one of the most popular ones right now, most requested ones. It's in high demand, and so... So my regular therapist referred me to someone for EMDR and I started doing that kind of not knowing what to expect, but it ended up being, I think the number one key to my healing um, from my first birth experience and setting me up for success with my VBAC. So even more than having a doula as wonderful as she was, and even more than like, I took hypnobirthing class, like those things are all great, but I really attribute like my mindset success to the EMDR. What do you feel
0: like, like a part of this um, program and this therapy, like, what do you feel like impacted you the most? Like, was it just processing, accepting, like where? I don't know. Yeah.
2: So EMDR is a unique um, treatment in that you really don't verbally process your trauma Mm. experience a lot. Like you don't have to talk about it a lot, which is good for people who feel uncomfortable talking about it. It's really working with brain science to help your brain process the trauma. And when it feels stuck in a certain spot, it involves bilateral brain stimulation, meaning both hemispheres of the brain. And so I wore these headphones that played sounds in each of my ears, kind of going back and forth while my, the therapist would prompt me to think about times during my birth or to think about statements I believed about myself, like I'm a failure And then replacing those with statements like, you know, I did, I did everything the best I could. I'm the best mother for my baby, things like that. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, so it's really working in the science of your brain um, without a lot of verbal processing. But a big healing part of it for me was actually admitting that my birth was traumatic. I had a hard time just even admitting that because nobody was hurt. Like nobody came close to death. Like she was fine. It wasn't an emergency C-section. it was scheduled like so i thought there are people who have such worse experiences than me like i can't call this a traumatic birth experience but for me it was because it overwhelmed like my ability to cope um and that's that's really what we now understand is trauma is anything that overwhelms your nervous system's ability to cope and it left me with these feelings of powerlessness and helplessness and fear which is what trauma does um you have this sense of like, I'm I'm helpless, I'm not in control. And I felt powerless and just a lot of fear. So owning that that was a traumatic experience for me um, helped just, just to put words to it and then processing it in EMDR. And then coming up with new ways of how I wanted to cope in my VBAC was a key part of the therapy too.
0: I just love that. I don't actually don't realize, I don't think I realize that like, it's not like, Talking it out like I thought it was finding the trigger and then talking talking, like
2: working through that, like verbally. So I Mm -hmm. am learning, I'm learning. This is awesome! Yeah, most therapy is talk therapy, and that's what I do myself as a therapist it's processing your memories, talking about them with the therapist, and looking at um, stuck points or thoughts that are keeping you stuck and replacing those with healthier thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, so EMDR does a little bit of that, but it's really not as verbal um really not telling all the details of your trauma to the therapist but thinking about them while you allow your brain to process them
0: yeah i was going to say like learning it's like a tool learning how to like by yourself solo mm-hmm. work through those and then you know learning how to even find out what is triggering or what what is affecting you that's awesome
1: cool yeah
2: yeah so towards the end of my treatment before i was due we worked on um, setting a future template is what she called it of um, how do I want to cope and um, what do I want to think and believe about myself in my future birth, the one that hadn't already happened yet. And so we did some like, what if, what if I do need a C-section again? Like what, how am I going to cope with that? What if I, there is an emergency situation and I'm separated from my husband and my doula, how, what do i want to believe and how i cope and that ended up being really helpful in my birth experience.
0: Yeah, I think that's good. I I feel like sometimes we shy away from the what ifs, like mm-hmm. the other scenarios because we don't want to think of those, so we don't want to bring those into the atmosphere, we don't want to bring those into our space, but sometimes it's really good to like kind of plan for x y and z
2: scenario. Yeah, for me I'm already a worst-case scenario type of thinker and so <laughs> So we didn't go worse, worst case, like we didn't go um, like death, but we did process like, like I said, if, if something does go off plan, or if I'm separated from my husband. And yeah, and so that, yeah, that ended up helping because that did happen in my birth. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so so bring bring me up to my back now. Um, so I went into it like with three words of how I wanted to feel. I wanted to feel calm, empowered and prepared. Um, And so the preparation was all of like the reading and courses and therapy. I did the empowered. I wanted to like speak up and advocate for myself and I wanted to feel calm. So like I said, I did hypnobirthing. I had tracks playing during it and I just wanted to, yeah, really be focused and, and calm about everything. And I I think I was able to, yeah, I absolutely
0: love that. So you just picked those three words and like defined them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Those were the three words for me. Um, And I was, I was a few days overdue and I had listened to all of your episodes about due dates. And (laughs) and, 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 and so I was getting a little anxious about, oh no, if I'm induced, that's going to lower my chance of success. Like I was getting a little anxious and nervous about it. Um, But I did Agree to a membrane sweep um, when I was 40 plus three days. Um, and that ended up, I think, doing the trick because the next day I went into labor. Um, so that was, I saw the doctor on a Wednesday for the membrane sweep. On Thursday, I was like in early labor all day, like at home, just, you know, it's like every 30 minutes or so. And I was kind of tracking and told my doula what was going on, but I was still like walking around the house and like doing stuff. And then we decided to call my parents to come spend the night with us in case um, something happened during the night. And then the contractions definitely intensified Thursday night and like all through the night. I was um, doing my hypnobirthing breathing (laughs) during the night during my contractions at home. Uh, And then Friday morning, I was in my bathtub at home and my water broke. So I was, yeah, I was going through contractions at home. My water broke. And so at that point, we did go to the hospital. Of course, I wanted to wait as long as possible. But when that happened, we felt like it was time. We called my doula, we called my OB. And um, so we went in then, which was a Friday morning.
0: So were things like picking up more active or just kind of went in because of that?
2: Yeah, I would definitely say it was more active. I was having to like concentrate, breathe more through them. They were a little bit closer together they still weren't probably as close as um we had planned but it seemed to progress fairly fast at that home uh, or awesome. at that at that point yeah so when we went into the doctor i i declined the cervical check because i did not want to know how many centimeters i was dilated i knew that was just gonna like either frustrate me and discourage me later on or like give me false hope or i don't know i just like didn't want to know um, well, it
0: doesn't really matter like it, it really doesn't like you're in labor, you're going to have a baby, your body will tell you when it's time to have a baby. Yeah. And I
2: was like, not in a hurry. I was just, I just wanted to, you know, kind of stay calm and let things come as they come. But the funny, when, funny thing, when we checked into the hospital, we, we had called ahead of time, of course, So when we checked in, they said, oh, you're here for the tola," And I said, no, I'm here for a VBAC. We are VBACing it. <laughs> So that was,
0: I know. Right. And, and like, we talk about this, um, we actually talked about this a little bit in our birth course, like about TOLAC versus VBAC and just the terminology. Right. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, I'm here to VBAC. And like, sometimes that can really actually throw someone off, like, like really throw them off. Cause they're like, well, no, like, no, cause like trying, right. But like, mm-hmm. I love that you're like, no, I'm here to be back. Like yeah, you know, I like, just push it aside, push it aside and say, like, okay, I get that that's what you guys call it on a medical standpoint or TOLAC, a trial of labor after cesarean. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm here to be back. So we'll just I'm just gonna keep saying that. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. I was very determined and yeah. So I labored with my husband, my doula and a really supportive nurse um, by my side. She was assigned to us the nurse and ended up being the same nurse who was there when I had the C section with my daughter in 2018. Um, and that felt really redemptive to me because sh- she had actually been really supportive during my C section and so kind. And so being able to see her and be there with her and her being a part of that experience, she didn't even remember us, but my husband and I remembered her and that was just really cool being able to it some
0: familiarity at. too you know yeah. like positive that was a positive part of your last birth
2: it was yeah so the hospital i was at had one room with a tub and so i requested that room i got it which was so exciting but then um they they saw me- meconium is that what it's called and um yeah. in, in them yeah in their water meconium yeah it's baby yeah. poop
0: and it's actually a very common thing. We actually had a mom the other day write us and say, Hey, I had a C-section because when my water broke, there was light meconium. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's actually pretty common.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They saw that, but so they would not let me get in the tub because of that, I guess, because of the increased ris- risk of infection. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every hospital has their different policies. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah. So that was a bummer. Cause I was really looking forward to that. I had use the tub uh, like weekly, if not more than that at my home during my late, the late weeks of my pregnancy when my back's really killing me and stuff. So that had been very calming for me. Um, So I did use the shower a little bit. I tried laughing gas, like the nitrous oxide. I tried that and I just couldn't Mm -hmm. like get the hang of it. Really. It was like the timing of when to breathe it in and the contractions and everything. I just couldn't quite get the hang of that.
0: Yeah, I use that for my VBAC as well, and I just remember like everyone's like, "Oh, it was working." I'm like, I just remember feeling like kind of sleepy in between the contractions, but like I, now that I look back, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I guess it
2: kind of
0: like I I think I should have like started when I started feeling them versus like when I started hurting, like feeling discomfort.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't get the timing right, and of course, like at that point, you're just kind of frustrated in any ways and not thinking clearly. So, so I kind of gave up on that and I, I, I did get checked and I was like six and a half, I think at that point, maybe centimeters. And so great. Yeah. So at that point I did get an epidural and I had kind of been open to it either way. I didn't go in like dead set on a unmedicated birth, but I didn't go like dead set on one either. I was just kind of, we'll see. And so that I ended up um, getting one and I, I don't regret it. The epidural I got, like, I could, I still had some feeling. I could still move around and get on, like, get on all fours and move side to side. So I wasn't just flat on my back. I was, um, I was using the birthing bar on the bed and, um, I could feel when a contraction was coming on. So, like, I I asked for uncoached pushing. So I, like, pushed on my own. Yeah. So I I didn't regret getting it. I think it ended up, yeah, working out, getting the epidural. You know,
0: a lot of people say like, "Oh, I don't feel like I can be back if I don't get an epidural," which it's just it's just simply not true. Like people have feedbacks with epidurals all the time, and you just have to do what's best for you. And it's a tool that is a great tool if that's a tool that you're needing or desiring, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you just know it's there, and if you use it, great. If you don't, great. Like, it is what it is. Use it if you need to. There's no judgment. There's no failing for epidurals, but we have this weird stigma about like failing <laughs> if we get an epidural and I'm like, Oh, uh, can we
2: please stop? Can we stop? Because it was a great decision. Sounds like. Yeah. I think sometimes there is like a badge of, of honor if you had a quote natural birth and I call it unmedicated. I don't call it natural. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just, I didn't feel that way. It was just kind of open either way. And so, um, yeah. So At that point, I'd been pushing a really long time. And so the the doctor who was on call, that was the bad thing about the OB practice is that you just whoever delivered you was whoever was on call. It wasn't my like regular OB that I knew and trusted. So the one who was on call said like, you've been pushing a really long time, your contractions have really like slowed down. And so we want to give you some Pitocin to like pick them back up. So they did that. And they did pick back up a little bit. And I mean, I was really chill. I was doing my my hypnobirthing, like breathing the baby down, birthing and uncoached pushing. And the doctor was like, no, you need to let your nurse coach you and you need to like hold your breath and push. Because um, in hypnobirthing, you don't hold your breath. You like breathe down. Yeah. Um, J
0: breathing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes.
2: So, yeah. So they wanted me to switch it up and I was kind of okay, but they you know, they were like, we've been at this for a really long time. So it had been, you know, four hours at that point. So I, I tried, I kind of tried it just to see like doing a little bit of the, of, of a more hold your breath pushing and then went back to my breathing pushing, you know, so I just kind of like mixed it up and saw, but, um, but yeah, so after four hours of pushing, he finally came out, and it was so empowering. Just feeling him come out, like even with the seat, even with the epidural, I could feel, I could feel the head come out, and then like I felt the rest of the body, and it was, and then they immediately put him on my chest, and it was just a wonderful like moment that I had been waiting for. Um, that was the moment, like I felt like I'd been robbed of with my daughter with the c-section like just being able to hold him right away and um yeah I just felt just so gratified to be able to do that just to have him on my chest right away and to know he was safe and yeah to know that I did it
0: absolutely I can hear the emotion in your voice just right now I mean it really is it's an amazing moment and like you were saying like too with ever like you can still feel things there's still pressures there's still sensations and so it's really awesome that you got to feel that and like kind of redeem that moment that you didn't get to have last time yes uh, that redemption birth yeah
2: Yeah. and and my husband and I had already pretty decided that this was our last baby too so it was you know it was my first and last um vaginal birth experience and so I, I really I really wanted that moment so um But, uh, so he was fine. After that, I, um, started hemorrhaging. Mm. Um, So from pushing for a while or. Yeah. So they, they thought it could have been from pushing for a long time. Um, I also had second degree tears, so they were kind of stitching that up. But then of course the doctor was also concerned about uterine rupture because of all the bleeding and couldn't get it under control. And so, they said we're gonna we're gonna move you to another room where we have better lighting, and you know your husband and doula can't come with you. So that's why I said I'm glad I prepared for that moment in EMDR because I was able to try to stay calm and like remind myself of the like words and phrases we had practiced. Like I'm safe, I am cared for. These people are all here to take care of me. Like I'm not alone. Like I just kept repeating those to myself as I was, you know, not without my support team. Mm-hmm. Did they take you to the OR or where? Yeah, I think so. Um, And you know, they were stitching and um, and trying to control the bleeding. And so at that point, I would have had like an epidural, even if I hadn't already had one. You know, mm-hmm. so so that's why I said I don't regret it. It's one of the other reasons. But yeah. So I was back there. I it felt like a long time to me, but my husband said maybe thirty minutes or so. And they kept saying like, "Well, I don't know. We might have to open her up. It might be a uterine rupture." And I and I literally said like, "You guys aren't going to tell me. I just had a healthy baby, and you're still going to open me up." Like mm-hmm. the whole the whole goal of this was to not have surgery, you know? Yeah. Um, and I said, "Can't you like do an ultrasound to you know look at it?" And so they did. They did do an ultrasound, and so they did not have to open me up, thankfully. But but they did this thing like put a balloon up. Mm -hmm. inside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to control the bleeding, they had to put a balloon and, um, and I had to keep that in until like the next day. So, um, yeah, so that was really unpleasant.
0: Yeah. That, that is like a hard way to, you know, to end like, you know, being taken away and having that issue. And weirdly enough, I also had some weird things. Like I, had some like weird bleeding unsure after. And it's just frustrating So you're like, I just have this amazing birth, and, and then you have this weird ending, you know, that's maybe less ideal. But I mean, look at all that you did before
2: mm-hmm. and what
0: it did for you. Like it prepared you for that very moment. And mm-hmm. you were probably meant to go through that for some reason. So you can help one of your patients down the road or connect with someone or share here on this story so someone's like oh I yeah. had that moment too and it's okay to like be bummed that that happened you know but you know be happy for your VBAC but sometimes things like that happen and and just like every VBAC is not I mean every c-section c-section is not like butterflies sometimes every VBAC doesn't have all the warm fuzzy butterflies right there's little things here and there that happened, and I'm so sorry that you did have that happen. But I'm proud of you for staying strong and and still carrying on your words. You advocated for yourself. Well, can we just do an ultrasound instead? Like you carried on those three words the whole time. Yeah, and, you know that's something hard to do when you're alone. So be proud of yourself for sure for that as well.
2: Yeah, I did. I stayed calm, and I I had prepared for that moment. And you're right, I did feel empowered still in that I could. Speak up and advocate for myself, and ask questions, and yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't carry the same trauma over that moment, even though maybe, like, maybe on paper it seems like more scary than a, than my scheduled yeah. C section. But and I'm just gonna say that, right? Like, uh, if you look at it,
0: then you're like, okay, well, scheduled C section, still got baby, everything's good. But this one, she had like be pulled away from her support team by herself, had this procedure done. Like,
2: it sounds yeah. bigger and scarier. Yeah, I think because my baby was already there and he was fine, that gave me a lot of reassurance. And then I think, yeah, just my preparation and those phrases of I'm cared for. I'm, I am, I'm not alone. I'm Mm -hmm. all these people here are taking care of me. Like just reminding myself of that as there are like, you know, a dozen people all looking at your vagina. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) It just helps remind yourself like they're all here to take care of me. So yeah, so so the bleeding, like, they, yeah, eventually got it under control, um, was able to recover and um, didn't have to have a tr- blood transfusion or anything like that. But it, it did make my recovery more um, challenging. And I think that was my biggest surprise with the VBAC. I had expected it to be the recovery to be so much easier than C-section recovery. That's what I had always heard. Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't. It was probably... Smaller amounts of pain drawn out in a longer amount of time, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my C-section was like more intense pain, but a shorter four. amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the back was, you know, it was hard to sit, it was hard to stand. Because of the tearing and all the swelling, like I had a ton of swelling from pushing for four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was just weak and low energy because of losing so much blood. So I had to take iron and rebuild that up. Yeah. So it took, it took a lot longer, I think, to, to physically feel like myself again, but emotionally I was so much better. Like I did not, I was not crying every day. I was not feeling like, I don't know who I am. You know, I just, the, the transition emotionally for me was so much easier. And even though, um, I did have, uh, some breastfeeding challenges again with low milk supply and just like did all the things to try to help that. Like I did, I did with my first baby, I did them all again. With my second, and then some, uh, and nothing really seemed to make a difference. So I had to just come to peace with that and accept accept that, um, and and grieve the that my breastfeeding journey was not as I would have liked. Or, um, but yeah but all in all, like I would definitely not trade my v back for it like it was so worth it and so empowering and just, yeah, just how I was doing emotionally afterwards was a world of difference from my first birth experience,
0: yeah, oh, well, congratulations Thank you so happy for you, so, so happy for you and yeah it's it's crazy, like it's crazy how everything can just unfold and and like you said like. You know you, you would expect like to bounce back with a feedback, and sometimes you
1: mm-hmm.
2: don't so yeah yeah, I oh. think that's that's helpful to know i've I've mentioned that in the v feedback week community Facebook group, I shared my birth story in there and and I've mentioned that to people that don't you know don't think that something's wrong with you if the recovery is actually as hard or or harder in a different way than your mm-hmm. um. Mm-hmm. than your first birth it's it's okay and i'm doing pelvic floor pt again and so that that's definitely helped because of um, some of the like pain from from the tears mm-hmm. um, so i definitely recommend that yeah, yeah but yeah it's been such a empowering experience overall
0: good oh well i'm so happy for you and um i wanted to talk a little bit about our um our blog that talks about the third trimester. Um, Mm -hmm. baby weight prediction and third trimester ultrasounds because you did have, it, and like you said, like, yeah, like it was not like, it wasn't like they said, oh, your baby's eight pounds right now. And then your baby came out six pounds, like, you know, like baby was growing and it was somewhat accurate. And that's the hardest thing with these, these ultrasounds is they can be somewhat accurate, but then they can also be really far off. So I was just going to say why I'm going to list a couple of reasons of why a care provider may suggest that third trimester ultrasound one, maybe because at the 20 week ultrasound, which is like the big anatomy one where a lot of people find out the gender, although people are finding out genders at like eight, nine weeks now, 10 weeks. Um, but at that, that one, sometimes the, p- the placenta is positioned low and covering the cervix. Um, or called placenta previa, and so they are going to want to make sure that that placenta did, in fact, make its way up and get away from the opening of the cervix. That is a valid reason for an ultrasound. That's a really good reason because if the placenta, for some reason, did stay and cover the cervix, it it needs to be a C-section, right? You can't we can't have a baby vaginally for that reason. Um, confirming position. Maybe if we're unable to tell, or if you know we're suspecting baby's breach or or um, transverse, that may be something to do. Or if maybe baby was breached and then they like did a version and they wanted to confirm the baby you know was head down, that would be a reason. Failed non stress test. If for some reason there was a non stress test, which I'm also learning that so many people are doing a million non stress tests during pregnancy for no real crazy reasons. Um, but if your provider ordered a non-stress test, um, for a medical reason, and is, and it was non-reassuring, sometimes they may do an ultrasound to just check everything and check fluid and things like that. But yeah, they can be effective for monitoring baby's weight and, and some medical concerns, but they can be super inaccurate. And like you were saying, it can be up one to two pounds plus or minus. Right. And so when you hear, oh, your baby's probably going to be 10 pounds and you're like, we be larger, you know, or, you know, like. Cause there was one time I went to an ultrasound with a client and they did say that her baby was 10 pounds and she's like, wait, my baby could be bigger than 10 pounds. It's very scary and very daunting. So yeah, like if your provider is suggesting a third trimester ultrasound it's okay to question. It's okay to say, Hey, I don't want to, or why are we doing this? And then for them to just schedule a C-section, even just without like really inducing to like, those are not great. <laughs> Those are not great reasons. Like you said, like you never even got to labor. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so did they even like say like, Hey, let's try. Like they didn't say anything like that. Or was it like maybe you opted for it because you were nervous about that?
2: No, I mean, they really presented it as the best option. Cause I asked like, is an induction an option? And they said, no, like we wouldn't induce a big baby. And <laughs> Mm. I said well what if like what if I just wait but at this point it was like a couple days before my due date and you know they checked my cervix I'm not dilated you know and I know of course now I know like that doesn't necessarily mean anything but at the time I I was thinking oh my gosh I could be week like a week away and she's just gonna get bigger you know that's right yeah Yeah. so it really was presented as the best option but if I knew now what I like if I knew then what I know I would now, know
0: now. Yeah.
2: yeah, I, I think I would have just waited. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And, um, yeah, waiting it out or maybe opting for an induction, a slow, gentle induction. And just because the cervix isn't dilated doesn't mean they can't do anything to help get baby, mm-hmm. you know, here. So mm-hmm. it's, oh man. Yeah. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. But like you said, like and the same thing for me, like, I wish I knew then what I knew now, but I don't. And now I've grown and now I've got these, these journeys that I can share. And, and I mean, that's why I'm here, right? That's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I've been through that and I want to help people know. So they don't necessarily always say, I wish I knew then what I know now, right? right. Let's, let's just know now let's learn now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Oh well thank you so much for sharing your stories and congratulations again and you got me all like tingly in the eyes and I could hear your emotion and oh you're just amazing and I'm so grateful for you being with us today.
2: Thank you and I wanted to um just share a resource if anyone wants to look for an e- EMDR therapist. You can go to E yes. M D R I A dot org it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing international association and they have a, <laughs> find an emdr therapist link there so
0: that that was a tongue twister that's amazing i don't even know yeah. how you just said that all without like <laughs> i mean i can barely say leaving a review on a podcast like that. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> that was
0: amazing. That was amazing. Okay. I, would you mind emailing us that? And we will make sure that we include that in the show notes.
2: Sure. Awesome.
0: Okay. Well, thank you again and have a wonderful day.
2: Thank you, Megan.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the dot slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian and Megan's bios, head over to vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.